Hi everyone, my name is Atiksha Punwasi and I'm the co-founder of the UK crowdfunding platform Simple Crowdfunding. For this podcast, we've decided to mix things up a bit and I'm going to interview Duncan so that you can learn more about the person behind Spirit Pig. So I met Duncan at a property event and we've met and stayed in contact regularly ever since. He runs the podcast Spirit Pig, which has been rated by iTunes as one of the top rated self-help podcasts in the world. So how has he achieved it? Driven by the mission Fulfillment for Everyone, Duncan has spent years tracking down and interviewing the top and coolest thought leaders on the planet about happiness and fulfillment. Over the last 130 episodes, he's interviewed pioneering scientists, Academy Award-nominated directors, New York Times best-selling authors, Mount Everest climbers, and 32 TED speakers. He also life coaches CEOs of companies that are positively impacting the world. Over the time that I've known Duncan, his goal has been clear and he has done whatever it takes without faltering and compromise. He lives and breathes happiness, and it comes across clearly in everything he does. I am so grateful that I have the pleasure of interviewing Duncan today. So, Duncan, we met at the Entrepreneurs 2012 event where President Bill Clinton was speaking. Why were you there? Good question. I left university. This is, a, this is just also a weird experience, being on the receiving end. I feel a lot more comfortable <laughs> asking the questions, so bear with me. I left university. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I think actually straight after university, I, I decided, with, along with a friend, it'd be a really good idea to set up a production company. Even though we had no experience, we had no money, we didn't know what we were doing. So flew out to Melbourne and decided to set up shop there and try and create a production company. Yeah, it was it was hugely naive. Didn't had no idea what we were doing. And so I think we kind of came back with our tail between our legs about six months later, realizing, yeah, that wasn't that good. And so I think most weekends I would go off to these events like the Excel Arena, where there'd be like these multi-speaker events and it was kind of overwhelming, but also exciting. It'd be like a mini internship where you'd have every two hours, you'd learn about a completely different topic that you'd never even heard of. So we'd be learning about property investment and then trading the Forex market and then the internet marketing. It would be so many different, like your brain would be blown, but it'd be like four days of just eye-opening stuff. And I mean, they're, they're great, but definitely if you ever decide to go to them, always leave like any bank cards or credit cards at home because <laughs> you think you're going to be some like multi-millionaire before the end of the day. And so it's an um, amazing experience, but kind of overwhelming. But we, I, I'd go to those events the whole time trying just to learn, like, what do I want to do with my life? Your first venture shortly after meeting you going to those events was property webinars, wasn't it? Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Well... Two of the things which from, from those events, two of the things which kind of resonated the most was the idea of internet marketing and being able to create a business that was online where I could work from anywhere in the world. I think like a lot of people have read sort of Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. And so it was in line of that. How could you create this amazing lifestyle but not be in an office? But then another thing which excited me was the idea of property investment. And so I would often 
every week I'd be going to networking events and I realized I didn't really know much about either of them. But when I went to the property events, I would talk about internet marketing. So I was almost like the odd one out. When I'd go to the internet marketing events, I would talk about property. So I was the odd one out. One thing which I learned about was the idea of online trainings and conferences. And I would often be listening to these, how to buy property. And they were all great and they were really interesting. But I I noticed a a common theme of them. It was always, here's some great information buy my product. Here's some great information, buy my product. And I think one of my weaknesses actually turned out to be one of my strengths because I realized what was different is that actually I didn't know that much about property. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know that much. And so I didn't come in with the, not the ego, but I didn't come in trying to like sell my own product. But I thought it's really, there's some amazing teachers out there. There's some amazing content, but there isn't like a neutral platform where there's somebody bringing on the best speakers in how to buy property at auction, how to raise finance, how to buy them below market value. And so I realized, you know what, I don't know that much about property, but I know who all the top experts are. So I started Mm -hmm. inviting them onto my neutral platform. And every month I'd run this event where I'd bring on one of the UK's top real estate or property investors and invite them just to give some amazing content where it's all about just how can we add as much value how can we can really just help people and then at the end if you want to find out more great but it wasn't so focused about marketing it wasn't like trying to do a hard sell it was focused on how can we add value how can i how can we help people and that was cool i mean it was it, it was it was so much fun and i did it for a couple of years and I ticked off a couple of the boxes. I I was once in Sri Lanka and I was there for a month and I was running an event and it was like, because the time difference, I think it was like one in the morning and suddenly there was like a tornado or a storm coming in and I had like 150, 200 people logging on live from all over the place and this had been like six weeks or two months worth of work to get up to this point and then the internet suddenly cut out I was in the middle of like this typhoon and I was on the beach and I was sitting underneath a surfboard trying to create a wind block so it wasn't like picking up on the microphone being like shh finally got some internet about two minutes before the event started and it was live and I tried to really calmly be like hi guys welcome to property webinars today we got I tried to do an introduction but it was um yeah, it, it was fun. It was kind of ticking some boxes. I could travel with it. I, I was not in an office. I was my own boss. And so, yeah, I had a lot of fun. But starting off live and then going on to pre-recorded is actually now it's just super relaxed and uh, it's it's not so stressful because going going live where pretty much all of your income relies on it going well and then suddenly you have a power cut. You're like, well, I'm not going to eat anything for the next two months. Great. I, I absolutely remember that time. Because not because I noticed it as part of the podcast or the interview that you were doing, but because you mentioned it afterwards and it just didn't come across the fact that you were in this storm. <laughs> so the story is just hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, you was... know, determination to keep going, that's, that's really a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. There was another event where there was just a, a power cut in the middle, like 10 minutes before the end. And I was just looking at the numbers and it was like 150, 120, 99, 60. I'm just watching the numbers just fall as all the people from the webinar were just falling off and were leaving. And I'm now going to have to pick up some extra jobs and uh, go and move back home and it was was like I'm not going to have any money or any food for a good two months great (laughs) (laughs) but actually running through the the webinars you there were there was a lot of information that you picked up I know that property um, wasn't right for you because there was so much more based Mm. upon what you were telling me 
Um, but actually, you learned quite a lot from it, didn't you, in terms of how to get hold of people and start interviewing and things like that? Yeah, no, I know. Le- learn a huge amount. So much of the stuff which I do now, that was sort of the foundations and the framework where because I had that as a base, it then gave me the confidence to then do other stuff. Even if you weren't trying, even if I was trying not to pay attention, when you're speaking with the best people in their space, whatever that is, in that in that time it was property but when you're having these conversations and interviewing and researching and the best people who are the top of their game you can't help but learn stuff so that's why I've always loved mentors and learning from people who are just light years ahead of where I want to be because the conversation you have you just learn so much. Spirit Pig. Spirit Pig has gone crazy which is the most wonderful thing. Tell me about that. Why Spirit Pig? So as we were talking I was I was doing the property thing and even though I was liking it, and even though, as I mentioned, it was ticking some boxes, it, it didn't feel totally like I, I, I quite got it right. I actually had a mentor at the time, and he could tell that I wasn't totally 100% there. And he said, look, just, you've got to kill it, as in you've just got to stop it. Rather than let it drag on for another six months, 12 months, he goes, I can tell you're not invested in it. Just kill the project. And I said, like, oh, like, I've invested so much time, so much money. It was... It, it was it was a painful decision, but luckily I was probably only slightly uninvested in the project for about three or four months, which is three or four months too long. But I'm glad that I wasn't kind of doing something for for years. And so after that, it was back to square one. I always walk around with a pen and paper, and I think I spent a week or so going to the same cafe every day, pen and paper, and started to write slightly cheesy questions, but like good questions. What would you do if? you were had two months to live what were you gonna what would you do if you weren't even getting paid what would you do these kind of questions and I kept on just writing and writing and writing and thinking and reflecting and this was probably about a week and I started to write down just my favorite things in the world I I love I love TED talks I love I love meeting interesting people I love I love learning amazing things I like being mobile and being my own boss I I don't want to be in an office and I started to write down these things which have had nothing to do with each other but I just put them down on a piece of paper and I kept on just I think looking at them and working at these questions day after day and slowly I started just to put them together and just made it up really I had no idea there was no business model I had no idea how that was even a career I just thought it would be really fun with the last thing, I enjoyed it, but I kind of burnt out after two years. So I thought, what could I do for the next hundred years? And I would just never burn out. And what, what, what is a topic which I would just love speaking about? I thought it had to be broad enough where I didn't get bored. So if it was just about a whole podcast about, I don't know, the release of dopamine in your brain, that is interesting, but I know that I would just get bored of that eventually. So I thought, what is something which is focused, so it's got a direction, but it's broad enough where can keep on approaching it from all angles and the idea of fulfillment and how to live a great life how can I live an amazing life how can I help other people live brilliant lives that was something which just it it felt good and I could keep on looking at it from different angles from plant medicines to neuroscience to business to relationships to love to near-death experiences to psychedelics to whatever it was we could look at it from so many different angles and I thought yeah this it felt good and I started talking to people and I started interviewing it and immediately I just I just lit up I was kind of just energized where I just having the most amazing conversations I loved it so how did how did you start to identify the people that you were interested in interviewing honestly I I think I made like a list 
of who would be the most awesome people in the entire world to speak to. People like the Dalai Lama, Oprah Winfrey, the people who are at the top of the top of the game. Because in my head, I thought I could either start at the bottom and then slowly but surely work my way up. Or I could think, who do I want to talk to today? Okay, and then just play the numbers game. So honestly, it was I think it was day one of deciding I want to do this. I think I was sending emails to Oprah Winfrey, Leonardo DiCaprio to talk about the environment, the Dalai Lama. And I just thought, I'm just going to play the numbers game. And so to start with, I think to get every one yes, like I had no credibility. No one knew who the hell I was. I had no track record. I couldn't point them to a website or anything. I hadn't, I hadn't done anything. I just thought, you know what, if I just ask enough people, one person would just think, screw it, why not? He he seems like an okay person, I'll say yes. And so to start with, I'd probably about one in every 100 people would say yes. So probably 99%, 99 out of every 100 people would just not reply or would say no. But I was like, okay, that's cool. One in 100. That's that's a starting point. And then, okay, we're, we're off to the races. And then it would be like one in 90, one in 80, one in 70. And over the last four years, now, you know, I've got a bit of a track record i've interviewed x y and z so that people recognize those people they can they can listen to them for themselves and so now we're down to about i don't know one in eight or one in nine before i used to get rejected 99 percent of the time now i get rejected 90 percent of the time so i'm pretty happy <laughs> but actually um in terms of those rejections you don't regard them as fi- finite do you so no. what i love about your approach is that you're very happy to say okay it's just a no at the moment and you'll keep trying because you believe that you'll get them at some point, right? Totally. I mean, I think I, I think of the no as just not for now. And so I yeah. think as long as you are, you know, obviously respectful of the person and no one likes to be bombarded. But if somebody sends back a nice message being like, oh, thanks, but it's actually it's just it's not a good fit right now. I might say, oh, no, no problem at all. Is it possible just to reach out maybe in six months, 12 months, not with any expectation, but just to check in and say hi? And so often they're like, sure, why not? Yeah, no worries. And 12 months later, I'll just reach back out. And they'll be like, um, it's still not a great fit, but maybe two, three, four years later. I can't remember who it was, but I interviewed someone about three or four months ago. And that was, I think that was after four years. That was, really? we always stayed in touch. <laughs> I think the perseverance approach is, um, is worked out okay. For every podcast that you do, there's an incredible amount of work that goes on behind the scenes, isn't there? Yeah. So can you explain to your listeners how how that works and, and, and what happens? Yeah, so I, I think I'm fortunate where, because I, I get to pick my own guests, I, I only pick people who I am 100, 150% excited about. I think in the past, a long, long, long time ago, I, in the past I've done a couple of things where I might have been 80%, 70%, 80% excited and... Mm. The audience wouldn't, I imagine the audience wouldn't know. I imagine the guest wouldn't know, but I knew. And I just thought in order for this to be sustainable, in order to be able to do this for for years and years and years, I've got to always be 100% invested into it. And so even if that means not publishing quite so regularly, I've got to be 100% there. So I really, I spend hours and hours and hours really thinking who would add massive value to the audience and who would I love having a conversation with? So mm-hmm. just picking the guests is, is 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 a long old process. But then once we finally have a guest and it's, and it's locked in, I hours and hours and hours and hours, I want to read everything and learn, watch all their past interviews because, because many of these people get interviewed the entire time and 
If you've written a book and somebody says, oh, just tell me about your book, people go into autopilot mode. And yeah. even though I'm sure they appreciate you know, that they're being interviewed, it, it's, it's not, I don't feel like it's a really great experience. I don't feel like I'm showing them masses of respect by just asking, just tell me about your work. And so for in order to have a really good conversation, I want to have done the legwork already. And so rather than saying, tell me about your work, I can say something more specific. Like in this study in 1980, like this particular thing happened, like what was that like? Or, and then, then they often light up because it's, we can actually then really have a great conversation. But I, I love the research anyway. I think I find it fascinating because I'm constantly learning and learning about ideas which I didn't know about. You've also started doing mentorship now, haven't you? Yeah. So yeah. what type of mentorship are you doing and why did you get into it? It's quite funny how it started because it was it was never really my intention. I never particularly had a, a goal to coach and to mentor. But a number of years ago, one of my friends who he's a very successful entrepreneur and set up multiple companies, but he used to sometimes just like struggle with like his mindset. And mm. he would often come to me for advice for the mindset. And then I'd often pick his brains more about business ideas. And we, he was a, he's a great friend and we've known each other for years. And he said to me, actually, no, I want to make it a more regular thing. Let's, let's have it every week if possible. And I said, sure, no worries. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're my friend. I didn't, I didn't want to charge him. He's like, no, I want, I want it to be official. I want to have like a, an hour slot and I want to actually make it a regular thing. I was like, sure, but I still, I don't want your money. I'm do, I'll do it anyway. And then he just started sending me money. And I was like, I don't want your money. And then he just started transferring <laughs> it into my bank account every, every time. And so that's how I started coaching. I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm now coaching him. And I was working with him for a while. Then he just started recommending me to some of his entrepreneur friends. And then I had a, a number of clients and it, it, it wasn't really 100% planned, but I loved that. I found it really enjoyable. But about a year ago, I started thinking about how, where and how I can like, add the most value. And so I loved, I loved working one-on-one -on -one with people, but it didn't feel like it was that leveraged it didn't feel like it was making it was obviously making a big difference to the person but i wanted it to think how can it have more of a ripple effect and so i started working specifically with founders and ceos of companies that positively impact the world because mm -hmm. they've already got their own mission they're already trying to do big things in the world but if i can help the captain of their ship be at their best or get out their own way a little bit then the ripple effect that they've already got companies which are so inspiring and doing amazing things. So that felt really exciting because I was helping that one person, but the ripple effect, it felt like it was having more of an impact. So that was about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so that's going to be the focus for the last couple of years. And do you think that um, having been through interviews with some of the coolest people on this planet and having such a varied outlook on life has increased your understanding and has allowed you to then provide that to others through mentorship how does that is has there been any any correlation there yeah no absolutely you can't help but to start to see patterns and themes come up again and again and again there's there's been a number of them I'd, there's probably about there's multiple but there's about about eight which i really think about like the whole time which just i can't i can't, honestly i can't ignore it even if i wanted to just speaking to people who are at the, yeah, the tops of their games during the podcast, it's been the best university, master's degree, schooling 
ever. It's, you, you, you can't help but not learn some amazing, amazing lessons. And, and then you can start to see the difference between things which are sort of fads or, you know, uh, just nice buzzwords versus what are the sort of the core truths which really have stood the test of time for years and years and years. What are those kind of core ideas, those core lessons which are common in the people who really love their life and who seem to live truly fulfilling lives? In terms of fulfillment and happiness, how do you relate that to your own personal life? I'm I'm a big fan of life experiments. There's nothing like real life experience to really understand a topic. I can understand something intellectually, but when when you put it to the test, then you kind of really learn it on, on a real level. So I'm constantly, I've been living in Amsterdam for the last two years, and I'm constantly doing life experiments. So... I'll give, I'll give you I'll give you one example, which I don't even know if I want to share, but screw it, I'll, 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 I'll say it. So one one thing that really fascinates me is is fear, leaning into the fear and doing things which are uncomfortable. And there's two quotes which I love. One of them is by George Adair, and he says, "Everything you've ever wanted in life is on the other side of fear." Mm. So that's something I think about often. And I think the other one's by Tim Ferriss, who says. A person's success in life can usually be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations he or she is willing to have. So I, I, I often kind of think about these things. I, I have a sort of a life statement which I tell myself and it's, it's comfort in discomfort. I want to get so comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So my benchmark of what I'm willing to do is just you, you get bigger and bigger. So say, for example you're scared of public speaking. You, you, you just do that again and again and again and until that, that just becomes the new norm. And so then you can speak in front of 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people. So I often think, what is my biggest fear? And then I think if I can just take down my biggest fear, if I can look, think of it almost as like a mountain and the biggest fear is the top. If I can slay the biggest fear, everything else by default is so much more manageable. So mm. the fact that you're constantly leaning into fear and I, I want discomfort and uncomfortable situations to be my new norm i'd always say yes if an amazing opportunity turns up you know start a company do this speak in front of these people where the default is yes and then just figure out a way later so back to back to the story which i said i'm not sure if i want to say two years ago i was sitting in amsterdam i think it was like a, a tuesday or wednesday afternoon it was freezing cold i think it was february or march and it was raining outside and i was just sitting in a cafe having having like a hot chocolate and a girl walked in who was like really attractive and I thought you know what I really want to go ask her out and often I often I I would but I just I just didn't I just just didn't really want to and I was I just I was like ah and and then suddenly I had a story in my head and I psyched myself out basically I got more and more scared and then I I was about to do it and then I missed my opportunity and I thought you know what Duncan that you're such a wimp that's (laughs) <laughs> you wanted to do something and you didn't because you let fear get in the way. And so I said to myself that day, I said, that will never happen ever, ever, ever again. Okay, so I had to take an immediate action. I was like, how can I make sure that never happens ever again? So I thought, okay, well, for the next 30 days, I'm going to ask out 30 girls in 30 days. I don't know if you see my phone. I don't have a smartphone. There's no no apps, no Tinders. This is just walking up to someone in the street and then just starting a conversation and asking them out. So I'll start doing that. I think I was on day three or four 
I thought, you know what, I want to make this even harder, even more uncomfortable, because I want to just do this again and again and again until I don't ever let this stop me. And so I said on day four, I thought, you know what, at least half of the times, the girl I want to ask out has to be in a large group of friends. So she has to be like <laughs> in a bar, like with all her friends. She she is walking down the street with four other friends. So not only did I crash and burn or humiliate myself in front of the bomb person it was in front of a whole crowd and so i just did this yeah every single day and it was not very fun but also quite wonderful how okay this is a fear i don't want to do this just do it again and again and again and that was just yeah that was a silly example but that's kind of always been my philosophy if there's something i'm uncomfortable about or i don't want to do or i'm scared about then i want to just do it again and again and again until that's not a fear. And so then my fear threshold constantly rises higher and higher. And actually your circle of comfort gets much bigger, doesn't it? Every so, single time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's the difference between actively choosing it. So say, for example, you're scared of spiders. Okay, day one, I want to be in the same room as a spider. Day two, I want to be 10 meters away from a spider. Day three, I want to be two meters away from a spider. You're constantly saying, I know this scares me. I don't want to do it. But you know what? I'm going to just do it anyway. And that builds this just this resilience, this confidence, this this scares me. It's okay to be scared. I'm going to do it anyway. And it builds this internal self-belief. I think if you're just doing that constantly in just all facets of your life, from work, relationships to... And there's been so many just weird and strange, funny stories off the back of it. So I think just <laughs> that alone... Uh, I have another line which I say to myself, if, whenever you're going to do something brand new or something which you're scared about, it's either going to be great or you'll get a great story out of it. Nor most of the time, it's going to be great. And if it's not great, then you'll normally get a great story out of it. So if you completely crash and burn and it's awful and it just ends up being a complete disaster, chances are you're going to get a pretty good story out of it. And so actually, that's almost even better. I, I almost prefer the crash and burns. I have to admit, I love those stories as well. Every time you, every time you speak, you never guess what happened. <laughs> With regards to Spirit Pig, what are the long-term ambitions for you and Spirit Pig? The mission which drives the whole thing is this idea of fulfillment for everyone that that really really excites me and i feel like first off i think it's worth saying do i know exactly how that's going to happen no i've got no idea i have like <laughs> i have like, I, I have different ideas and this but i don't have the answers and i don't have this perfect plan or strategy in place but I just know where I'm going I know what gets me out of bed I know what it's all about this whole idea of fulfillment for everyone and start small start one person at a time but I think if I can learn how to live a happier more fulfilled life you can learn five people can learn ten people can learn there's no reason in theory why we couldn't be living in a world where happiness and fulfillment is it's the default mode and it's, it's the norm. Talk to me in a couple of years and they'll be like, that was totally the wrong strategy. But one, one thing I think about often is as a society, we value literacy. We value reading and writing. And so when a child is born, we put a lot of energy and attention into that. They go to school, they learn ABC. And it's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. But we say as a society, we value literacy. So we put the energy into it. And so in the old days, I don't know what the percentages were, but like terrible percentage of literacy. Now in many countries around the world, it's 
over 99%. So this was something which was potentially challenging, but we say, this is important. We believe in it. We're going to put energy into that. And so I think saying, hey, the happiness and fulfillment of society is something which is important to us. So I think kids should be learning in schools things like resilience, grit, meditation, emotional intelligence, how to (laughs) deal with setbacks, how to deal with fear, you know, all these kind of things about how to live a a well-rounded life. And when I talk about fulfillment, I don't mean being happy every second of the day. It's not about never having pain. It's not about not experiencing loss, always having this artificial high. I think of fulfillment. Simon Sinek describes fulfillment as lasting happiness, a deep sense that my life is good. And that's the kind of the way I I like to think of it as, yes, you're going to have loss. Yes, people that you love will die or you might lose your job or you get dumped. And of course, feeling sad and upset is natural. It's not about trying to shun those feelings away and pretend they don't exist. I think pain is... Is, is an important and a necessary part of life. But I don't think suffering is. And somebody wants to describe suffering as pain plus a negative story. So say, for example, you love your girlfriend mm. and she dumps you. I feel pain. That's example one. Example two would be your girlfriend dumps you. Plus you tell yourself the story. I'm unlovable. I'm going to die alone, etc. Therefore, you're going to be suffering. So I don't think suffering is necessary, but pain is. That was a bit of a long roundabout bit, but I feel really inspired about helping in whatever small way to try and create a world where fulfillment is the norm. And I, I totally believe that it's possible. I'm not sure of the exact route yet, but fulfillment for everyone is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life towards creating. That's wonderful. I know that you listen to lots of books, do you consume lots of information all the time. Is there one book that you would highly recommend to listeners? Specifically in in terms of this area of happiness and fulfillment, a book which I think is really great is, he's actually been on the podcast, I can't remember what episode it was, but his name's Mo Gaudat and his book's called Solve for Happy, Solve for Happy. One of the things I like about that is he's just done so, so much research and he's just brought the best science together and it takes away a lot of the, the fluff because some, when you talk about happiness and fulfillment, sometimes it can seem like a bit of a fluffy subject, but he's an engineer by nature. So he thought, how can I deconstruct happiness? How can I create an, al- how can I create an algorithm for happiness? And that's not really how my brain works, but it's qu- I'm quite glad that he's done the work for me so I can just read it and enjoy it. Um, if there are one or two things that listeners can do today to make their life better, what would they be? One or two things. I ask myself a question. Are you an asset or a liability? What I mean by that is, are you a plus or a minus? Are you a value add or a detractor? Do you make situations, places, people's lives better or worse? I kind of think it falls into one or two categories. I think of if you shrunk down Duncan to one inch tool or if you shrunk down an Atushka to half an inch tool and then you gave somebody an Atushka or a Duncan as a gift and they put it in their top pocket would that make their life better or worse so the way I look at this is you say you're in a supermarket and you just give a genuine smile or thank you to the checkout person say I'm in Starbucks and I 
go to the loo, the toilet, and you know there's there's something on the floor. I'll just chuck it in the bin. So I'm thinking every single day, how can I make things better as opposed to worse? And just focus on that tiny action, and then just do that day after day, and just compound that. What that would do is you will be somebody who's magnetic, who people like being around, who make situations better. You're constantly thinking, how can I make this place, this person's life, this situation, just that little bit better? It doesn't have to be massive better, but it's like, are you making it better or worse? If you're constantly thinking, how can I add value to every place and every person that you come across, the byproduct of that will be, life will be absolutely amazing. It seems strange because I'm saying, how can, the question was, how can you make your life better. And I, I'm saying focus on making other people's lives better. But it's this weird paradox where if you want something, focus on giving it. So if you want more like friendship in your life, focus on being a better friend. If you want more people to care about you, focus on caring about other people first. So whatever you want, think how can I give, 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 give. And then you actually don't need to worry about what you can get because it just you just become magnetic. People want to help you out. People want to care for you. People want to spend time with you. And so that is, that is a massive thing. Think, how can I be a giver? Rather than being a taker, how can I be a giver? So that's one thing. A second piece of advice, I'd say, think every day, how can I be better today than I was yesterday? Hmm. If you look at nature, nature is in two states. It's everything is either growing or dying. You look at a plant, it's either growing or it's dying. Humans are obviously part of nature, so we're the same. We're either growing or we're dying. I think each day, how can I grow? How can I be better today than I was yesterday? Because if I'm just sitting on the sofa talking crap about other people, then every day I'm slowly dying. I'm just withering away. So I think, how can I be better today than I was yesterday? And so that could be having a great conversation. It could be listening to an audiobook, watching a documentary, doing something for a friend, doesn't matter, but how can I be better today than I was yesterday? Tony Robbins talks about one of the keys to fulfillment is growing and giving. Growing and giving is what the two things I kind of mentioned are. How can I focus on giving and how can I focus on growing? So I think of them as how can I make better be better? How can I make other things better? How can I be better, make better be better? But Remember it however you want, but I'd focus on those two things. How can you be better today than yesterday? And how can you focus on giving and being a giver? And then those two things alone, if you do them day after day and let that compound week after week, year after year, your life will be be amazing. Thank you so much. It's been, I've followed your journey for the last six years and I've loved every moment of it. So to be able to share this with your listeners is just wonderful and for me to have the privilege of being able to, to interview you is it's made my day for sure so thank you so much i really appreciate your time and for switching things around thank you so much for making me do it i i definitely feel more comfortable in your position and i'm sorry that i speak so quickly i actually wrote down on my notepad slow my <laughs> tendency is to speak very quickly but thank you for making me do it and I hope that it's been helpful and it's um, added some value to you and to, uh, to anyone listening.